Kia ora, I'm Vincent Herring and welcome to This Climate Business. Every week we talk to people turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Follow us on social media and please rate the show as it helps others to find us. Hope you enjoy the programme. The 2035 Oceana Summit is an ambitious event combining the food, agriculture and tech sectors to address the impact of climate change on food. Held in Auckland on the 10th and 11th of October, the summit will feature delegations from the US, Australia, the Pacific Islands, and it includes a keynote address from Karen Ross, the Secretary for the California Department of Food and Agriculture. So quite a stellar lineup. Peter Wren Hilton is the convener and the key driver behind this event, and he joins me now. Peter, thanks for joining us on the show. No, thanks very much, Vincent. It's great to catch up with you today. Um, now that is an impressive lineup of people. How difficult has it been to pull this event together with all the di- disruptions that we've been living with in the recent years? Well, I, I, I think um, it's, it's a great question. Um, I think had we known two years ago quite what we were letting ourselves in for, we might have um, ha- had some other thoughts. But no, look, let, let's first of all just look at the background as to where this came from, uh, because that too was a very disruptive environment. Um, about two years ago, I was approached by the UK Department of International Trade to see whether I would help co-host the uh, the uh, COP26 Agri-Food Tech um, Summit. So the plan originally had been to put together uh, a much more global version of this event um, in Glasgow in November last year. Uh, we progressed until about July last year, um, and then we decided to pull the plug because with the same disruptions and closed borders, we didn't know quite what COP26 was going to look like. Mm. Um, at the time, people said, well, look, if you're not going to host a global event, why don't you host one down in your region? Uh, namely Oceania. And so that was really the background to what we're doing in October next month. Mm. Um, So Oceania, obviously Australia, New Zealand, Pacific Islands. Um, And what we're really looking to do is to uh, identify ways in which we can support farmers and growers address climate change. That means reducing greenhouse gas emissions, but also adapting new growing uh, systems to uh, accommodate a changing climate. Um, So that's really the background. Um, But as you said, quite disruptive. Uh, We had originally hosted or planned to host this event in April this year. Uh, We had to um, postpone that because of closed borders. So it's great to finally, after 18 months, to be able to say (laughs) we're now just four weeks away from, from hosting this event. Yeah, that is that is quite a journey. Um, we'll get to some of those issues about the industry in a minute, but let's just talk about the speakers. Who who should we be looking forward to at seeing at this event? Well, you, you've already named one. Um, it's great to get um, Secretary Karen Ross over from California, um, but we've also got a number of other both local and international speakers. I think in total we have 14 speakers coming in from offshore, um, and that excludes um, six from the Pacific Islands who we've announced within the last week. Um, we've actually got five Pacific Island ministers um, coming across to um, Auckland um, for the summit, uh, which is great. Uh, we have a number coming in from Australia. Um, That includes uh, the vice chair of the IPCC, uh, Professor Mark Howden. Uh, We have Professor Andrew Campbell, who is the chair of GRA, the Global Research Alliance for Greenhouse Gas Emissions. So a number of uh, really interesting, uh, well-known speakers who we don't see very often in New Zealand. And again, I guess because this is really one of the first events post 
uh, closed borders. It's wonderful to see so many people uh, coming across the ditch from the Tasman, but also from the islands. Mm. What are the attractions? Why would they, uh, what, you know, what are the, I suppose the, the key question is what are the, what are the burning issues that uh, is, is on everybody's plate in this sector, particularly ag? Well, I think particularly if, if we look at it from a New Zealand perspective, we know that greenhouse gas emissions, 50% of them come from our ag sector. So as a sector, we contribute a significant amount of New Zealand's greenhouse gas emissions. We also know just what impact climate change has got both short term, but also more importantly, long term. And so I guess one of the focus areas here is just how can we reduce those emissions? Um, one area of particular concern clearly is methane. Uh, and so one of the areas that we're going to be discussing within the summit is how can we reduce methane emissions. Uh, one particular area which I think has generated quite a bit of interest is the novel use of seaweed. Um, and so we've got two speakers flying in from the US to talk very specifically about how seaweed can help reduce uh, methane emissions. Um, and just to put that into context, um, UC Davis, the university in California, um, did some research on beef cattle. And they said that by adding seaweed or a certain type of seaweed to animal feed, you could reduce uh, methane emissions by 80%. Um, the same research was conducted by Saro over in Canberra and using beef, uh, sorry, not beef, using dairy um, cows, they were able to reduce methane emissions by 86%. So the question is not whether seaweed can actually do this. It's just how can we scale up um, the opportunity? Um, and there will be quite a bit of discussion around that um, at, uh, at the summit next month, particularly in relation to some announcements that I expect to be made by an organization called CH4 Global. If we listen to George Mombio, the answer to reducing methane is just to stop farming cattle. How do you and how does the industry respond to that? Um, well, I, I, I mean, I've obviously heard that before. I think there are probably two or three things that we need to um, think about. First of all, uh, there is an increasing demand for protein. So as we look at the growing middle class around the world, that demand for protein continues. And I personally believe that um, meat plays a key role there, not just in terms of meat, but also dairy. Uh, New Zealand's got a really interesting um, history here. Um, although we think in terms of um, New Zealand is having this very, very significant contribution of greenhouse gas emissions. In fact, New Zealand's dairy sector is the most uh, carbon uh, friendly in the world. And that's because of our pasture-based farming methods. Uh, and so research that was recently produced by Ag Research showed, I think, that New Zealand's greenhouse gas emissions from dairy were something like 40%, 47% lower than the national average or the international average, um, which goes some way to show that actually our dairy farmers do a great job. Uh, what we want to do, though, is to see how we can improve on those numbers uh, to reduce those emissions you know, as much as possible. The dairy sector has for so long, and along with many of, uh, of the leaders in the ag sector, resisted action on climate change as if it's uh, seen as a cost uh, as an, and a tax and an imposition from the government, rather than embrace, embracing the reality and of the science, but also the, the the potential. Uh, my sense from your organisation, this is AgriTech New Zealand and also the summit, is that you want to shift the emphasis towards solutions and opportunity. Would I be right? And if that is right, what are the opportunities that exist in this space uh, other than yeah. converting to, I don't know, crops, for instance? 
So I, I think, Vincent, you've picked up a really good point there. Um, I mean, one of our key partners um, at the summit is Fonterra. Um, and Fonterra certainly over the past kind of three to five years have been significantly more um, concerned and impacted by uh, the issue of GHG. Um, and so there will be um, quite a lot of uh, conversation around just how New Zealand's dairy sector um, is addressing this. In terms of the opportunity, you're absolutely right. Um, until recently, most of the farmers' complaints around um, greenhouse gas emission regulations uh, Regulation has come around cost and bureaucracy and red tape. However, I think there is now an understanding within the sector generally that the global consumer is changing. Uh, and so one of the really interesting sessions, I think, at the summit is going to be a contribution from Tesco, the UK supermarket, that is going to talk about its sustainability uh, journey and what it expects its suppliers to do over the next three to five years. And so I think there is an understanding now amongst the New Zealand dairy sector, that it's not just an environmental issue, it's also an economic issue. And if New Zealand wants to be able to sell its product globally to global consumers, then we need to reduce those, uh, those, those carbon emissions. And so I think that is a stronger driver now as anything around you know, improving the environment. It's that economic sustainability as well as environmental sustainability. Hmm. Uh, there are some people that say actually it's tech that's kind of got us into this situation and tech that will, won't get us out. There's a, almost a, 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 this, I suppose, this move towards organics or towards uh, regenerative approaches to farming and agriculture. Is that consistent with the tech sector or is there an emerging conflict between those two big, uh, I don't know, streams of input? Um, I don't think it's conflict. I actually think they're very complementary. Um, I personally think there should be a much more significant move towards uh, regen um, agriculture. Um, but I think that's completely compatible with an increase in the use of um, technology. I mean, one of the interesting comments that I think um, Secretary Ross is going to make from California is the shifting emphasis in California away from chemical inputs to biological inputs. And I think that's something that we're going to see um, occurring much, much more uh, widely. Um, I suspect that conversation is going to become much more um, frequent in New Zealand as well. Um, it's interesting to note that our major fertilizer companies now refer to themselves as nutrient management companies. Um, and I think as we look at uh, technologies such as precision agriculture. I mean, if we, if we go back probably five, 10 years ago and you would speak to you know, a dairy farmer in the Waikato or, 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 or you know, Otago uh, and ask them to um, put fertilizer onto their uh, paddocks, what they would do is they would generally just spray paddock uh, fertilizer across the entire paddock. With precision, precision agriculture, what we're now able to do is we're actually able to identify those parts of the paddock that require the fertilizer. And so rather than basically placing fertilizer across 100% of the land, it can now just be placed on the 10, 15% of the land that requires it. And I think it's that kind of area of precision agriculture, uh, which or precision technology rather, which is going to um, enable us to, again, uh, reduce uh, not just emissions, but also reduce other impacts such as runoff and leaching, um, which clearly you know, impact on waterways and, uh, and, and, and other aspects of our environment. Mm, interesting. New Zealand has a long and quite proud history of agri-tech, doesn't it? And do, do you feel hopeful that we can compete on a global stage as technology providers or are we being outdone? Are 
you know, my sense is that there's a, a complete digital revolution happening in this space. Do we have the cajones to keep up? Yeah, look, this is a really interesting point, Vincent. So just, just a bit of personal background. Um, I, I established Agritech New Zealand, as it now is known, um, back in 2018. Um, and that was really based on experience I had far, three years previously when I was living in Sunnyvale in Silicon Valley. Um, I saw this new investment class being developed called Agtech and realized that very little of that global investment was coming across the Pacific um, into New Zealand, which struck me a bit odd given our kind of agricultural heritage. Um, and so I came back to New Zealand in 2015 and realized very quickly some of the challenges we faced. Uh, very small domestic market, very competitive um, Government and agencies, government agencies and industry weren't really talking to each other a lot, um, and so by the time we set up uh, Agritech New Zealand in 2018, we'd managed to break down some of those silos. Um, and what's happened in the last two to three years has actually uh, really uh, kind of proven that point. Um, back in 2020, I was able to stand up at Zespri in um, Mount Monganui with uh, uh, Ministers Phil Twyford and Damien O'Connor uh, to secure the passage of the Agritech Industry Transformation Plan. Uh, that received $11.5 million worth of funding from the government. And that was really designed to accelerate our agritech sector. Um, mm -hmm. And we're now, I think, two years into that program. And certainly the results at the moment suggest that some of our early stage companies that were um, literally early stage two years ago are now scaling up quite quickly. And I can think of people like, you know, um, Cropsey and Halter and others who've managed to raise many, many millions of dollars of investments. So I think it actually places New Zealand's agritech sector in a really good space. Um, are we there? Absolutely not. There's still a long way to go. But I think in terms of are we able to stand up against some of those international competitors, I think the answer is very much yes. Mm, interesting. The uh, elephant in the room being methane, and you'd, you'd already mentioned that, and you've, you've, you've mentioned the, the possibility that um, sea, uh, seaweed, you know, could have on uh, on feed. To what extent is the methane problem, uh, you know, solvable, particularly in a grass fed environment? Right, we rely, a lot, and we're very proud of our grass fed. Um, meat and dairy can you just explain or explore a little bit more about the methane challenge and what you're seeing uh, on the horizon yeah so I, I there's no short-term fix uh, i think that's clearly uh the, the big answer i mean i think we're all waiting um you know for some kind of um magic uh, silver bullet. Um, I think we're still some way off that. Uh, there is a huge amount of research being undertaken. New Zealand recently government announced, I think, almost $350 million of new investment into research, yeah. particularly around methane. Um, but that is kind of not compounded. That's kind of just part and parcel of a much bigger global sum of investment being made. So when I think of countries such as Holland, when I think of um, you know Wagen and University there who are spending, again, hundreds of millions of dollars looking at this uh, particular problem. Um, but in time, I think we will get we will get there. Um, I think the time frame is probably reflected in the government's approach to um, ETS. Um, when I look at the recent um, submission um, to the government, uh, it's clear that nobody expects methane just to disappear overnight. Um, mm. But there's certainly a lot of research being undertaken globally. And I think within time, we will get that methane down to what I can refer to 
in very general terms as you know acceptable levels. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. What's your own journey into sustainability, Peter? What What is? When did you discover that this is kind of really where you wanted to throw your efforts? Um, well, I, I, I guess I became really quite passionate about it um, probably as only probably five or six years ago. Um, I was always aware of the impact of climate change, um, but never really um, very deep to it. And I think it was really that connection between the role that agriculture plays and climate. Um, and certainly in my time as executive director of Agritech New Zealand, it became more and more evident that climate was becoming a more and more significant um part of technology journey that the sector was taking. Um, and that wasn't just climate, that was sustainability in a more general sense. So I think it was really that um, learning um, in the last kind of five to six years that's really driven me to where I am today, uh, to the point where I'm kind of almost overpassionate. Um, uh, it, it's something that absolutely uh, consumes um, a lot of my time. So uh, yeah, very, very keen to not only have the summit in four weeks' time, but then really develop where, what that summit um, go, you know, wh- where we go from there um, mm. in terms of making a lasting difference. Well, what is that lasting dis- difference? What's the impact you're hoping the summit will achieve? Well, I think there are probably two or three, uh, two or three impacts. Um, I mentioned very early on the fact that we've managed to attract um, a number of Pacific Island leaders um, across to to Auckland next month. Um, what I've actually been doing over the last twelve months is speaking to some of the international donor organisations who support the islands. So, organisations such as the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organisation, um, IFAD, the International Fund for Agricultural Development, um, CGIAR, ACIAR. I won't throw any more acronyms at you. There are plenty of them <laughs> in the internet space. Um, and I spoke to these uh, organisations about 12 months ago, asking them to send a, de- uh, a delegate or a representative to Auckland. Um, to my surprise, they decided we won't send a delegate, we'll send a delegation. And so it gave me an opportunity to sit down with MFAT, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade here in uh, New Zealand, and also DFAT, the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade in um, Canberra. And what's happening now is on Wednesday, the 12th of October, the day after our summit, we're hosting a one-day symposium, which is focused very much around the Pacific Islands, food security and climate change. And so those donor organisations, together with those Pacific Island leaders, are going to sit down to try and develop a new framework uh, to see how the region can support the islands, address those existential challenges that some of them face. So Mm -hmm. that is a really kind of positive outcome from the summit. Um, And I suspect there are going to be similar outcomes. Um, One other is we were able to announce last month that Western Growers, um, so again, just here to declare a kind of personal interest, I sit on the Western Growers Global Advisory Board. Um, Western Growers members are based in North America. They produce over 50% of all fresh produce. Um, We're going to be co-hosting an event with Western Growers in Salinas in Northern California in June next year, where we're going to address very similar issues. Because if you think of California, I immediately think of drought. Um, They've had an extensive drought now for at least five years. Uh, Growing conditions there are very difficult. Uh, So again, climate to them is a very real factor. Um, Mm. And they are using, I think, this summit as an example of what could potentially be achieved over there. So these are just one or two of the outcomes of the summit before it's even happened. 
let's just cast our vision forward a few years. Um, you've talked about uh, the the mitigation aspects of, uh, for instance, reducing methane emissions and fertilizer use and and so on. Um, but we also will have to adapt, won't we, to changing conditions? Does there a do you get a I don't know. Can you give give us a, a an overview of what you think are going to be the driving changes that we will have to endure or adapt to, particularly in New Zealand? I mean, every climate is different, I guess. But what are the trends that New Zealand growers and farmers are going to be facing? Well, I think I think there are various um, big trends uh, already emerging. Um, I mean, we talk very frequently about you know, alternative proteins. So, what you know, do alternative proteins mean? Um, is it just plant-based meats? Uh, well, the answer up to that is no. Um, I think we're going to see a significant increase in the use of cellular technologies, um, and so I'm certainly expecting in time cellular meat to become uh, a much more um, frequently um, available product. Um, and that's necessary because, you know, against the background of climate change, we also have a increasing population. Um, you know, by 2050, we're going to have just short of 10 billion people, if you believe the maths, um, on this earth, which means a 40% increase in food production. Uh, well, that's going to be very challenging given the fact that the use of land is probably going to be less because there's climate change impacts on the use of land. So we're going to see new types of protein developed. I think cellular will be a key one. Um, I also expect to see a considerable increase in the amount of indoor farming, uh, kind of vertical farming. Um, great example of that is Plenty, uh, which is a US-based company now um, managed by Arama Kukutai, uh, originally a South Taranaki dairy farmer. Um, and what they can do, of course, within those uh, vertical farms is basically produce uh, produce throughout the 12 months of the year uh, without any impact of, of climate. So they're in environmentally controlled in, uh, areas. Um, I know that in the US, um, Plenty has recently received a $400 million US uh, investment from Walmart. And so I would not be at all surprised to see vertical farms next to all Walmart's big box stores. So I think that's just a example of where things might be headed, um, not just obviously in North America, but around the world. Uh, we need to produce more food. It has to be affordable and you know, nutritious um, against that kind of climate background. Um, so I do think Growth of cellular is going to be a really interesting area and the growth of indoor, again, really interesting area to watch. Mm, very interesting. Um, let's just go back to the summit. What do you uh, look forward to? You know, Are there any highlights that you are looking forward to, Peter? And, and don't say it being over because uh, <laughs> I'm sure you're looking forward to that. But um, what, 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 what's on your agenda um, for the summit? Well, I, I, I think obviously apart from welcoming, what, what we want this to be is more than just a two-day conference. Um, we've always said, and when I say we, I talk about the Summit Steering Committee, we've always wanted this to be a platform from which uh, partnerships and collaboration can develop. And so one of the things that I really want to see is that networking and engagement taking place throughout the two days and then following on from there. Um, <clears throat> I think one of the other things I'm really looking forward to is the food. Uh, which is not something you can very often say about a conference. Um, the good news here is we've actually contracted Peter Gordon, um, the chef, uh, to curate the food for two days. Um, Peter is trying to curate a menu which is as carbon zero as possible, um, but that doesn't mean that there won't be any meat. Um, 
it just means that he'll be creating delicious food um, from a series of, um, where possible, carbon-neutral sources. So I'm really look, looking forward to seeing um, how that works. But ultimately, it's it's the output and the outcomes of the conference that's really, for me, the most important. It's not just the two days. It what happens follows. Oh, fantastic. Where do we go to buy tickets uh, or uh, observe the conference? Yep. So the, it, the the conference is an in-person conference. Um, you can find out all you want to find about it, out about it by going to www.2035.ag. Um, that will show you the program of the conference. It will show you the um, the, the news that's been running for probably about 12, 15 months now, lots of news items um, leading into the summit. Um, and that's also where you can buy your tickets as well. So 2035.ag. That's the place uh, to go. That's the summit portal. And obviously, we hope as many Kiwis as possible can join us um, in uh, Auckland next month, uh, because we know we've got very large delegations coming across the Tasman from Australia, down from the Pacific Islands, and also across from the US. Mm, Great. Well, thanks, Peter, for your time, and good luck for the conference. Uh, Hopefully, we'll see you there. Fantastic. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Vincent. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. If you like the show, please rate us as it helps others to find us. Ka kiti anō.